hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to Hamster with a Blunt Penknife with me, Stephen, from New to Who, and me, Joe Ford, from Hamster with a Blunt Penknife. <laughs> Brilliant, of course. So, um, Joe, we hello. are looking at a Trouton classic, one of my absolute favourite stories. It's called The Invasion. We're up to episode four. What are you making of it so far? I think it's a very, very good noirish thriller. But mm. rumour has it that it's a sideman story, and I'm yet to be convinced. <laughs> You're right. So far, it's been very spy-fi. Uh, and what we will find at the end of this episode is maybe the spy-fi story finishes and comes to a close, and we get into the alien invasion story in the last half of the, uh, or second half of this, uh, this wonderful classic from the 60s. Could could this be two separate stories? Like, could could there be a oh. a, a spy fi story told here about Vaughn, the the uh, the megalomaniac in four parts, and then a four part Simon invasion story? That's really interesting. The first thing that I thought of was actually how it would look in Yuhu, and perhaps you'd have a Doctor Light episode in the first mm. half if you. And you set up all of the um, the unit stuff and the IE stuff and they would, towards they would absolutely do that as well because they, remember that Patton Oster gang mm. episode they did in the Crimson yeah. Horror where it would be a bit like that wouldn't it but with unit yeah I can see that and <clears> it, it would work absolutely but it'd have to be sort of set before the events that we see here start so you'd have to sort of front end load that and you would have, you know, Vaughn building up his empire over a number of years and unit being formed as a result of, you know, the Yeti incursion in the underground and all of that kind of stuff. And those things would sort of coalesce and conform to this, God. Uh, the story that we would see the Doctor land in. That would be great. This stuff writes itself. Why were we writing for <laughs> Doctor Who in the 60s? <laughs> God damn it. Oh, was, well. Someone should go back and revision all of this, you know. I'm just saying. Yeah, because... Because I'm sure we would do a much better job than Terence Sticks. Oh, oh no, no, no one does a better job than Terence exactly. Sticks, honestly. And you know what? I think I was probably a little facetious about his target novels in episode one. They're my favourite. Like, I, yeah. I'm not sure what Terence Sticks's target novelization of The Invasion would have looked like, but I'm telling you now, it would have been a hell of a read. Yeah, completely. Like, like right. um, you know, like uh, Spearhead from Space, the Auton Invasion. I still that's think that's, that's, yeah, it's one of the best, isn't it? It's his first one, though, right? So he's, he's obviously um, perhaps not sort of weighed down by the schedule, which sort of comes later on in the, in the late 70s for him. So he really takes the time. But that's ab absolutely one of my favourite targets. It means a lot to me as well. I, I read that very, very early on. And uh, yeah, I think you know, I... Which two really always, like... I, I reread them incessantly. Um, okay. Planet of the Daleks. And oh, yeah, yeah. Death to the Daleks as well. His novelization of those two stories. Man, oh man. Then you go and watch the production. You know, what is this shoddy old nonsense? That book I read you, was amazing. You have just taken me back to primary school where they were actually two books that I borrowed out at exactly the same time. So they were like the the two that I've that I picked out to read yeah, for that. That's terrific. And, and the covers wonderful. as well. The, the, the cover with the exploding Dalek. And... 
Exactly. Yeah. The exploding Dalek and then the sort of iconic shot of the Dalek framed by Pertwee and um, uh, the Thal on the other side uh, on, the, on, the, on the planet, Spirit on. What's, what's the cover of the invasion? Well, the first print is it's an entirely black sort of cover and you've got the, um, the Cybermen, like one of the Cybermen, and he's got like a With gun. With a gun. Yes, I remember. With, yeah. 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 Although the, um, the Alistair Pearson reprint is gorgeous. If you haven't had a look at that, Google that. That's a beautiful bluish kind of uh, 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 affair. Really lovely. Really? Okay. I should have a look at that. Um, well, I have a feeling that tonight's going to be a good... No, no. So I have a feeling that <laughs> <laughs> the Cybermen may show up in this story. In this episode. Yeah, yeah. let's wait and see. Let's find this out. Is, this is normally where we end the Doctor Who story. And they're about to bloody show up. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so I'll count this in, shall I? Let's do it. In five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Where are we? Well, can I ask you then, like, okay, you know, we we have watched this before, so we do know the Cybermen Sharp in this episode, okay? Yeah. Um, I don't think that's any great secret as Doctor Who fans. What's your feelings about the Cybermen? Uh, I feel as though they got them right a handful of times, but not often enough during the classic series and maybe even the new series as well. What they should represent is the body horror aspect of this is what humanity will do to itself in order to survive uh, and the the horrific consequences of that uh, which we certainly see in something like uh, the dr falls for instance the um, world mm. of time dr falls two-parter yeah um but often when they're not when they're not used in that way and, and this is one story where you know they certainly don't there isn't much talk about you know, a conversion, you know, apart from Vaughan and perhaps Packer. Um, they are instead best kept to the background. And this is why this story works for me. We actually don't see too much of the Cybermen. And when we do, they're the sort of silent, malevolent yeah. threat that stalks the sewers or, you know, sort of is, is sort of sit waiting up in space, waiting to, uh, you know, sitting up in space, waiting to destroy us all. So having them perennially just off screen actually works really well in this story. Where they don't work well is in something like Revenge of the Cybermen, where they're put into situations that really highlights just how inept um, they're, they're conceived of. You know, it, it's, uh, they're sent down to the planet of gold when gold is their um, you know, fatal weakness, which is a terrible idea in and of itself. But that's kind of like, as Paul Cornell once said, sending vampires to the planet of garlic. <laughs> yeah. It just makes zero sense. And, and they sort of come across as very <clears throat> tin pot and all the rest of it. And I think you know, Tom Baker has a line like that as well. It just doesn't work in, that, in many instances like off, that. Off you go, Superman, to the planet of kryptonite. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. One thing this story does do with them, because um, I, you know, they lean into in two of the Cybermen into the idea that um, you'll remove um, the emotions and you'll, you'll you know, yes. you essentially turn into a robot. Mm. Derek Sherwin inverses that here and has a Cyberman injected with emotion. I think that's really interesting and bloody terrifying when that Cyberman's like, <laughs> and screaming his head off. Um, I the Green. new series does that as well. In one one scene in the Age of Steel, 
where the doctor turns it. off all the emotions uh, sorry the turns inhibitors. off the, the inhibitors and there's that one yep. side man looking in the mirror screaming his head off yeah it's really chilling idea and it's done very it, well here it, i it, think yeah yeah and, and isn't it i mean the great um sort of uh interpretation that russell has is sort of extrapolated from that scene that you've mentioned with the rogue cyberman with the um uh, with the emotion sort of put back into it <clears throat> but the idea of we would need to absolutely eliminate our sense of identity as well as our emotions to live with the fact that we've put our brains in into these bodies into these metal bodies which i, I thought was incredibly chilling um and one of the sort of great reinterpretation points i guess at the side and that works so well for me in new who i i, I think Love you're it. right though that um so i i think the cybermen were work one two times in ten like yeah i think i think the concept is staggeringly good terrifying yeah but they never lean into what's scary about them they too often just use them as like um like a military force or like a, yeah. an army of robots that's what they are in the five doctors that's what they are in silver nemesis that's what they are yeah. in revenge of the cybermen that's what they are in 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 quite a lot of new who as well like in oh, completely nightmare in silver they're just they're just robots aren't they that are attacking um yeah whereas those few moments where the idea of like stripping away your identity i think i think it's probably most impressively done in the 10th planet those horrific hmm. masks and those eyes coming through and it's just yeah. human enough um to be like oh man it's ghoulish it's a ghoulish kind of mockery of the human form without any emotion at all Terrible. well put absolutely i would love to have seen um well if only william hart was was uh, in better health i would love to have seen more of that of a showdown um between the, the cybermen and the doctor in that because i mean he has that wonderful quote you know love hate fear uh, have you have, no emotions have uh, you no emotions Stephen? yeah <laughs> And, and that's really the um, the crux of the Cybermen. Like, if you're not playing with that, uh, I feel like you're just basically sending out tin pot soldiers to stomp about and be a, a menace. And you can do that with anyone. Stephen, I think you've got the heart of a poet. I can't imagine you as a Cyberman, you know, honestly. It just wouldn't work, <laughs> it wouldn't work at all. God. I couldn't imagine much worse, to be fair. I mean, that's a terrible thing. Imagine me without emotions. Jesus Christ. You'd be unrecognisable. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I've only just noticed. I've I've been so busy talking to you. I've only just noticed we're watching animation again. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, we're watching we this are. hugely elaborate action sequence. Yes. Which, like, it's fascinating to to speculate whether this was as it was shot, or whether they've taken liberties with the um, recreation of the. Of the escape attempt with you know with the helicopter and all of that kind of stuff is that is that something that you feel they were able to sort of play up and and make it a little bit more spectacular spectacular than perhaps it was that budget allowed for it to be I don't know because some of the set pieces later on in this story look mm. really good like the action yeah. is really Camp good field. yeah and that you know, skip true. forward to season seven and Ambassadors of Death, that bit in the warehouse, you know, mm -hmm. um, episode three of Inferno when he's first in your, like the action there, like this falls, yeah, potentially silo, yeah. looked 
spectacularly good. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. But the trouble is, we'll never know. No. It's quite oh, sad. Zoe and Isabel are back. <laughs> the story is automatically lifted. Yeah. And here they are just trapped in a room, but they're so watchable and they're so delightful. And we haven't seen them for a while as well, which is another trick, I guess, that um, and this eight-parter allows us to do by you yeah. know, shifting the focus onto other characters. And, and last episode, it was very much the, the Packer show, um, half-hour variety. Um, here we sort of come back to, it's like, oh, yeah, these, these, these two. It's very, <laughs> this is like very much an ensemble piece again, isn't it? Now, like everyone's mm -hmm. getting a bit of the pie. Uh, don't you yeah, love the fact that, that Zoe put that boa on in episode one and she's still wearing it? Because <laughs> yes. I've got something to tell you, Stephen. You might not know this in black and white, but that boa is lime green. Really, though? If this had been in colour, that would have been a shocking statement. That boa, I'll tell you. Oh, that's kind of ruined it for me. I always thought it was like a a sort of Mary Tam White, if you've, you know, from um, Rybos Operation. Rybos Operation. A, while we're talking, I'm going to try and find a picture to show you, right? So we have a live reaction. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, to be fair, though, you know, look what Katie Manning wore in the 70s, you know, like, it's not like this is without precedent. Well, yeah, she's got that light blue feathered um, boa in Claws of Axos, right? Is that, or is that my memory cheating? And that fabulous shaggy blue coat that she wears. Mm, that's the one yes that's that's what i'm conflating it with okay i'm waiting for this reveal joe what okay. could it be it's coming it's coming don't worry hang on oh my god <laughs> it is green oh, it's green and she's wearing a <laughs> red sort of look at the pair of them oh, oh come wow on. they look fabulous don't they isabel got ginger hair no. Yeah, she's look, she's wearing red as well. Oh man. We needed to see this in colour. <laughs> now I'm scared about what Vaughn's wearing. <laughs> it looks like a black and white suit, but you never yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's getting no. angry again. Yeah, this is great. Yep. Now, much like Steve Jobs, perhaps may have it. You know, one of his employee employees. Oh, do you reckon he loses it? Oh yeah. Well, he's famous for it, right? He was um, well known for losing it. By all accounts, so this is there's a tech millionaires. There's a shot in a minute, um, uh, um, a piece of animation that's very genuine um where zoe and isabel are going up the ladder and the camera is right up their skirts well by all accounts wendy padbury says that that's absolutely genuine the camera was <laughs> I'm, I'm like, like oh, the 60s yeah i believe it yeah yeah I, I don't think that would fly in this day and age but yeah it was no, probably, no 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 probably one of those things that's just like yeah definitely gonna have to get this in shot and of course, the story is that I learned from Brendan Jones when we recorded uh, the New to Who episode on the invasion. We had a grand old day in Sydney. Uh, Dan and I went across to, to speak with Nathan and, and Brendan. Yeah. Um, and I had learned at that point uh, from Brendan that <laughs> uh, Jamie's kilt was weighed down by um, a little bit of lead 
um, that he had or someone else on, on set had um, uh, for, for fishing. So, so they were going to go fishing at lunch in a nearby canal. And so they just uh, had that sewn into the hem of his... his um, Stephen? Yeah, to keep it to keep it down. You better bloody hope so. Did you see all that wind that was flying about there? Yeah, well, I mean, that would have been terrifying. Well, exactly, honestly. He, do you know what? I've I've heard some pretty cod Scottish accents in my time watching TV. His is very charmingly done. Yeah, it is. Uh, oh, there's the uh, the Nickers shot. By the way, you're right. Uh, even in the animation, they got yeah. that in. It, it, it is, but it's got to be um, cod Scottish, as you say. Uh, and even Capaldi himself, I'm sure, has toned down his Glaswegian for sure. And McCoy, uh, I think McCoy said he did as well. That that yeah, yeah, because he's from Paisley, which is what about five miles west of of Glasgow. Different accent, interestingly. Um, Please don't get me uh, quoting Sylvester McCoy. That's the last thing you want. <laughs> But yeah, just uh, I think the most egregious line that Jamie says is in the mind robber when he's like, "Well, who's the Yahoos?" (laughs) 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 That is ridiculously over the top. (laughs) Gosh, I would love to have seen the. uh... How, how Camfield realized this yeah it looks what, it looks spectacular in animated for in animated form like it, it really holds up there are tele snaps aren't there of this episode uh, so i'm guessing oh, no. i'm guessing they've got a feel of the angles and things where where did you find the tele snaps is that just online um well i know there are some episodes where there aren't tele snaps is this one of those i'm not sure i don't know I'm not. I've not been like a huge telesnaps person, to be fair. To all the view listeners out there, I apologise. The research team for Hamster with Blunt Pen Knife did not <laughs> give us this information. <laughs> um, I, I another thought just came to me, and that is um, companions from the past. I wish they would do that again. And I know I can kind of see why they don't. But I think I think what happens with Companions from the Past, and they did it with Victoria, and they did it with Jamie, and they kind of did it with Leela. And I know she's from the future, but the idea is that she's quite yeah. simple and doesn't understand like future type things. Mm-hmm. Is that you have a few stories where they're educated and they ask yeah. lots of questions, and then they just sort of take it all for granted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean. I think there's an, a natural character arc that it allows for, which um, Jamie does go on over the course of the three years. And I think it's in the Crotons where it sort of mentions that he has had like a rapid rate of learning, uh, accelerated learning um, in, a, in a shorter period of time, which obviously is meant to be, you know, his, his time with the doctor, which is why it's so heartbreaking. Why at the end of the war games, he's sent back and his no. wiped of all of that. And Zoe uh, as well, because Zoe's so, come on such a oh, journey. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, with, with the historical characters, I think it does work with, with Jamie in the sense that, um, you know, he's sort of given a journey 
and I don't know whether that's intentional or not, but it doesn't really matter because you know it's there, it's there to be seen. Victoria doesn't fare as well. Like she is very much the damsel in distress or the Victorian yeah. damsel in distress. And yeah. that's kind of puts a cap or a limit on her on her progression as a character. But you know, that's probably um, that's probably the more realistic that she stays very true well, to her. It's not it's not that interesting and yeah, it's a little exactly. weir wearying by the time you get to fury yeah. from the deep and she's sniveling in a corner every five minutes it, it, it's not too far <clears> removed <throat> from catalina right and she doesn't stick around very long because yeah. they decided well actually we can't do much with this companion so that's that is one of the the flaws of having a um a, a companion from the past did you hear what john wiles wanted to do uh is this killing off Vicky? can you imagine that would have been heinous. It would have been yeah. horrendous. Yeah, you just said you just said about how sad it was that you know Jamie and Zoe go on this incredible journey <clears throat> and then lose their memories at the end of yeah. the war games. Yeah. Um, you know, there's another companion who goes on an incredible journey. You know, Donna Noble. What happens to her yeah. at the end of her season? Yes, <laughs> loses her. Yeah. Like the companions with the most development. That's it. We're going to take that away from them. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible tragedy about that. And I guess that makes for good drama, ultimately. It really does. Like, you, uh, <clears throat> there's something about um, the unfairness of it, isn't it? Mm, where where you, yeah. long, you long for it to be different, but that's why it's so memorable, but the tragedy yeah. of it. Yeah, but it's also, you know, you can't get the Hollywood ending every time. Uh, and, and No, it's true. You can't always go flying off in an American diner with a shielder, can you? Not always. I've totally lost track of the plot now. What's occurring? Okay. So um, uh, Vaughan's been on the floor to his mate uh, in the government. Uh, I forget his name oh, off the top. Rutledge. Rutledge. Thank you. Yes. Who has been brainwashed to be a stooge for him. He's now applying pressure on unit uh, to make sure to basically back off from, from IE. Uh, and that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Have the sidemen appeared yet? No, Joe. <laughs> we know this right at the end of this episode, and it's that beautiful sort of transition point into yeah. the alien invasion story. We've still got the spy fi here. Uh, I right think they've learned, you know, from the wheel in space. Because in the wheel in space, obviously, the sidemen, it takes them a long time to appear in that as well. And those weird sort of eggs appear, and out comes the fist. Whereas this is way more dramatic. It's a cocoon that's kind of blah, 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 when he tears his way out, you know? Yeah, I agree. Yep. I, I, I mean, I look, eight parts, if you're in a hurry to, to get to the Simon bit, by all means, fast forward or skip ahead. Um, but I, I, you know, we, we started right at the beginning of, of this, uh, this uh, podcast where we were talking about, where I, I was saying to you that, um, I really appreciate the first half. I think there's something yeah. that's redolent of that sort of 60s spy-fi genre period of time um, through the location, through the characters, through the sort of tone and um, the, the atmosphere that, that Camfield creates. And I, I could happily stay in that. Um, it's Doctor Who does the Avengers, and I think that's great. I think you put your finger on the people that have issues with this story. That's it. It's that they want the Cybermen, they want the big feature, and they sure, want it to cool. come quick. But I think you're also right, my God, you're so right in this story, um, in that 
it is two very separate stories being told, you know. Two you different know, styles of story, yeah. You yeah, want that? Yeah. Go start episode five. Go and watch that as your first episode, <laughs> you know. And let us yeah. enjoy all the atmosphere and the suspense. Yeah, and the comedy of part three. And the great characters. Like, just mm. too much. There's so much to be said, absolutely. This is, I mean, there is perhaps a school of thought that suggests that, um, you know, we're just sort of buying time here. We're just waiting until we can unleash the, the cyber. But I feel that's kind of like people who read synopses and feel like they understand the story. It's, it's, it's not quite the, the stuff that happens, the plot. The, this happens and that happens and this happens that's part of it the enjoyment is actually you know luxuriating in the performances and in the direction yeah, sure. and you know, the whimsy of it if you can't enjoy that then i don't know maybe maybe reading the wikipedia would be better off, you'd be better off doing that oh that's a great burn i'm gonna put that <laughs> that's, the, that's the quote of the day go read the wikipedia entry <laughs> but I, I think i think there's something absolutely in that and the reason why i love I love longer classic Doctor Who stories, the, the six parters, the seven parters, and the eight parters. Is especially I, I especially love the ones where you go off to other planets. Is that you get to luxuriate into that planet with those characters, and you know your mind just goes away from all your cares where you are, and you get like four hours or three hours, you know, with those people. And yeah, I, I don't I, love that, you know. Yeah, I don't think it always works. Like. Uh, like there are there are six parters that are just a chore to get through. If you're um, shitting on the monster of Peladon from a great heart, <laughs> all right. <laughs> no names mentioned. <laughs> I, I think it's really about the world that you're presented with and that they are able to build for you during that time. See, I I absolutely adore Genesis of the Daleks, which is kind of odd because I'm probably more on the frog spect spectrum than the gun spectrum, but I genuinely feel like that is. It could even be the best Doctor Who story of all time on, on certain days when I wake up in and the mood for it. Structurally, I think Genesis of the Daleks yeah. does something really interesting. I it opens up on this big scale and then it gets smaller and smaller. And so we're in one room in the last episode, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, on a complete side note, I think you'd look much nicer in the frock than you would with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, I've, I've never held a gun. But there was one Halloween where I wore a dress. Ooh. <laughs> is there photographic evidence? Yeah, there is, unfortunately. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> um, there, is, there is one thing that is a shame about this being animated, is there's a lot of location work in this story, in this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, a shame to, it's a shame to lose it. We're back into the uh, IE base. Um, and it is, as I say, it would have been all on film. It would have been um well a lot of it would have been on film I'd, i would love to have seen how dougie camfield directed this bit you know the the the, the sarban being rewoken yeah because i love the fact that you know did you see that where they have the light and it was reflecting on his glasses and things it's mm -hmm. like like there is an art to animating a suspenseful scene as well isn't there you know which some people have and some people don't yeah, and I think we're seeing it. Like, again, this is just, it's simplistic in terms of its animation style, but it's incredibly <gasps> effective. I think it is the benchmark. There's My a Cyberman. God! A Cyberman, alas! Oh, sorry. I mean, a Cyberman. 
Um, in fact, and what he did there, uh, what they did there with the animation is they had the Cyberman, um, there was light flashing on it and it stayed over the credits. Well, they were absolutely doing that at this time because there's a, there's a sequence at the end of Tomb of the Cybermen episode one where that happens, where there's a light flashing on and off and the credits roll That's in. True. And, and the so image nice. is still there. It's really yeah. effective. And in fact, weirdly enough, as it starts um, getting darker and darker, the, the face looks more skull-like. It's very creepy. Um, well, that's the end of that story. We're about to start another one. We are. And it's got Cybermen in it, Joe. It's called The Invasion in inverted commas. It's a four-part Doctor <laughs> Who story from the series six. <laughs> but we will be back to see what those dastardly Cybermen are up to very soon.